Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. I've seen God do powerful things as we come to just look upon Jesus and not just ourselves. I've seen something special happen, and so I love this. And we um, look to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, and he says this. He says, the word of the cross or the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. What we're doing here tonight to look at Jesus is foolishness to those that do not have eyes to see. But to those of us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. The message of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. Why is this the case? Because Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we still can't as Christians, by the way. As we've come to Christ, the way in is the way on. We came to him because we needed him and we continue to follow him because you and I need the Christ every day in our life. And so we gather tonight to reflect and to refresh and to rejoice and I want to do uh, something. I want to read two accounts of the crucifixion, Mark's gospel and also in the book of John. I'm going to read these just like Paul told Timothy. He said, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. When we read scripture like this, it is very powerful as our hearts are open to not hearing some story, but a true historical event that has taken place that has changed the lives of everybody that's here today. And so let's pray with that as we open God's word. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And as we look upon the crucifixion story, we pray that you would do something fresh in our hearts to see you, to behold you, to appreciate you. As we receive communion tonight, we also, Lord, we thank you for your precious blood, your body that was given on our behalf. We acknowledge that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you that you've offered that to us, and we have said yes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was a Thursday evening, if you follow the story in the Passion Week, where Jesus, in John chapter 13, got together with his disciples. And if you know the story well, he got down on his knees and did what children do, slaves do, and he washed his disciples' feet. He did that strategically to prepare them for what was all about to happen. And about 12 a.m., now we're into Friday, Jesus was betrayed by one of his very own disciples named Judas. From there, Jesus was brought before Caiaphas, a high priest, and then the whole Sanhedrin, the council, where he was questioned, he was accused, he was mocked, and he was formally condemned. It wasn't that long, just a little bit later, by 6 a.m., he appeared before Pontius Pilate, then Herod, and then back to Pilate again, where Jesus was questioned, he was mocked, he was beaten beyond recognition in the praetorium, officially condemned to death by way of crucifixion. This was a death of a criminal. And we pick up the story here in Mark chapter 15, verse 22. Here's what the word of God says. Then they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, and they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. 
It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And uh, other accounts say it was written in every language so all could see. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him. And they were wagging their heads and they were saying, Ha, you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves. And they were saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, which I can't say in Aramaic and I won't try. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave him a drink saying, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry. That's very important there. He uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last and the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, which was something supernatural. Physically was not possible. And Jesus uttered, when the centurion was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last and said, truly this man was the son of God. And there was also some women on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. John chapter 19, verse 17. Same story, different account. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. And there they crucified him and with two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews. But that he said, I am the King of the Jews, Pilate answered. What, have I, what I've written, I've written. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them and for clothing, they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which was John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his household. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Remember, in a loud voice, he cried out, it is finished. 
And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. For Christians, the cross represents what Jesus did in bringing us total forgiveness. It's become the centerpiece of our faith. And even today, 2,000 years later, we see it on our buildings. We see it on our hospitals. Sometimes we ha- I have a cross around my necklace. You can't see it right now because my tie is hiding it. It's on our necklaces. Some people have it as a tattoo on their arm, and we're not here to judge. <laughs> but it's become the centerpiece of our faith. In their world, the cross was the most painful and degrading form of capital punishment. By Jesus' time, it was a normal way to see people die. In fact, they would crucify people right in the front of the city gate, or they would do it up on a hill like they did with Jesus. And it was Rome's way of saying, this is what happens when you cross us. You will die in this way. We will kill you in such a way as to warn others that this is what happens to people that cross Rome. It was the worst type of death, the death of a criminal. For us, the cross represents heaven, but to the disciples, and that day at least, it represented hell. It was this type of thing. But we know the cross of Jesus symbolizes obedience to God at any price. We know that because Paul said it in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. And it reads this, Being found in appearance as a man, speaking of Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The cross of Jesus Christ symbolizes obedience to God at any price. And that price was paid for you and for me. He went through the most extreme torture a person could ever face, and he did so as an innocent one. How could an innocent man endure so much torture? And by the way, Jesus' life wasn't taken. Jesus' life was given. He chose to lay it down. Nobody could take Jesus' life. After hanging on the cross for hours, he makes this final statement. He says, it is finished. What is finished? What is finished is our debt. The wages of sin is death. The wages, our wages, your wages. No matter how good of a person I am, no matter how good of a person you are, the wages of sin, even the slightest sin, even the smallest sin. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, even the white lie. There's no such thing as a white lie. They're all dark lies. The wages of sin is death. Jesus said it is finished. The debt was paid in full. It is finished. I have accomplished what I came here to do. And with that said, I just want to share a couple what I'm calling reflections from the cross. That's all I want to share with you tonight. And the first one is this. Jesus suffered greatly. You don't need me to tell you that, but I want to draw your attention to verse 23 in Mark's gospel. It says that they were trying to give him wine mixed with myrrh. We don't know if it was the soldiers Some people speculate that there were compassionate women that would walk alongside those that were condemned to death by way of crucifixion, and they would offer this as a means of compassion. And what we know from this mixture of wine and myrrh, or some would call it gall, what this was, was it wasn't medicinal, and it wasn't just alcohol. There was some kind of drug that was in there. And actually, the word in original language can can mean poison, It was a way in which to sort of sedate someone, not just drug, but poison and sort of shut you down early. It was a compassionate way for people to help you along, so to speak, before you were ever getting nailed, before you were ever bleeding out. You would die before all of that would set in and your suffering would take place. And it says that Jesus refused 
what they were trying to give to him. He did not allow his senses to be dulled. He received, and and we have to understand this, Jesus took all of the pain. And when, when it was offered to him to not feel some of it, it says that he refused. This word refused, it's that he just, he resisted. He utterly resisted. He didn't kind of pass. He didn't think about it for a moment. He utterly resisted. Jesus refused the wine because he chose to suffer on our behalf. Nobody dragged him there. He suffered greatly and he chose it. Look what Isaiah 53 verse four says. And this is the amplified version because I like the way it says it. But in fact, he has borne our griefs. Speaking of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows and pains. Yet we ignorantly assume that he was stricken, struck down by God and degraded and humiliated by him. We ignorantly assume that. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. The punishment required for our well-being fell upon him. And by his stripes, which means his wounds, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wickedness of us all, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. Don't you love the Amplified Bible? All of our sin, injustice, wrongdoing to fall on him instead of us. We must understand that this is how bad sin really is. And I think one of the things that we get out of a Good Friday service is not to try to make ourselves feel bad. It's actually to look at Christ and all that he would go through because of how he values each human life to everyone that would turn to him, everyone that would give their lives to him, confess him as Lord and Savior. We look at Jesus. We don't want to feel guilty tonight. This isn't some pious way of paying back a God that did for us what we could never do for ourselves, but it does help us to look at how bad sin really is. Sin isn't kind of bad. It's really bad. That's why the sufferings of Jesus were as bad as they were. Jesus did not shy away from the punishment. He chose to experience the full pain for the full payment. And remember, Jesus was not paying for his own sins. He was paying for all of ours. In the flesh, though, we don't quite understand this because we evade our consequences and our pain, yet Jesus was taking it on for others. I'm not sure if we all want to make that confession tonight, but I certainly will. I don't enjoy consequences. I don't like pain. I have bottles of ibuprofen. I'm a regular consumer at times. I don't like going through the pain of relational conflict. I don't like my own sin. And I don't like it when sin, people sin against me. And I know you're in the same boat. But Jesus paid for all of it. And I want to speak to the Christians in the room, which is probably all of us. There may be a few that haven't yet given their life to Jesus. But let me say to you that the blood of Jesus still cleanses your sin. There is nothing more that you can do except to turn to Christ. That's why he suffered. That's why he died. That's why he bled. It's the sufferings of Christ that atone for our sins. Jesus suffered greatly. The second point is Jesus was mocked openly. In every account of the crucifixion, we read of various groups of people who mocked the Lord. Now, if you read all four accounts, you're not going to find all of them in, in each one. 
But if you put them all together, what you find is there's a lot of mockery that happened at the cross. And we want to look at that just for a moment. The first one we read about is the thieves on the cross, Luke chapter 23. We barely read about it in Mark's gospel, but if you follow Luke 23, it says they hurled insults. These are the criminals. These are the actual thieves. These are the guilty ones on his right and his left. It says they hurled insults. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. And by the way, save us too. But this was sarcasm. This was making fun. The second group of mockers were the people who passed by. We don't name them. We don't know them. We have no idea. There's just a lot of them. It says bystanders, passerbyers. Grammatically, it's not the way to say it, but you understand. It says people that pass by, they would say things like, if you are the Christ, save yourself. Come on down. Come on down from the cross, Jesus. The third group of mockers are the chief priests, the scribes, the religious leaders, and all who would be in that category. And they said all kinds of things, all summarized by saying, he saved others, let him save himself. And if you save yourself and you come on down from the cross, there's one account that says, we'll believe you then. All of this was going on. Think about who they're saying it to and the moment that they're saying it. We also read in Luke 23 about the soldiers. The soldiers would say, if you really are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Who knows if anybody even meant it a little bit? We don't know. We weren't there. We don't know their hearts. We also see the sign in the inscription that read king of the Jews. It was a mockery to all that would see. It says it was written in all three languages. This was not to suppose he might be king. This was to mock him. I mean, it's a big sign above his head. And he's on a hill, ladies and gentlemen. He's on a hill, big sign above his head. He's up on the cross, nailed to it, bleeding out, beaten beyond recognition. And by the way, he didn't have any clothes on. I don't know why it is that we clothe him in a lot of our pictures, probably because we don't want to see nakedness, obviously, but he, wasn't, he didn't have any clothes on. They took his garments. Do you, you, see, you understand what that means? They took his garments. He was, he was there naked. Talk about humiliation. The son of the living God is on a cross, naked, bleeding out, looking like nobody could recognize him. And they're mocking him with their inscriptions, with their words, taking his words, misinterpreting them, throwing them back at him with sarcasm. We have to picture the scene where all of these different ones, and you know, to me, it's a prophetic picture of our rejection of Christ. That's what this is. It's every type of person. It's, it's the people that are ignorantly passing by, have no idea who he is. It's the soldiers that are just carrying out their job and their duty. It's the religious leaders that are resisting, that are rejecting, that are jealous, or for whatever reason, he doesn't fit their theological box in Judaism. It's, it's Pilate who wants to wash his hands, even though he's the one that got them to write the inscription and nail it above his head. It's every person, that's you and that's me. Every person is right there mocking Christ. It's a prophetic picture of humanity mocking the son of God. And he's literally doing it for us. He's giving himself for us. We're all there at the cross. We don't think that. We don't often consider it, but it's true. We rejected God. We rejected his son. That's why Jesus had to die. And their mockery was an outward manifestation of an inward reality. We often say about baptism. Baptism is an outward action of an inward reality. Well, this mockery was an outward manifestation of an inward reality of rebellion toward the one who made us, loved us, gave his life for us. Jesus was mocked openly. Thirdly, we see that Jesus was thinking about us selflessly. 
while Jesus was on the cross suffering, hurting, bleeding, dying, he was clearly still in that moment only thinking about us. I mean, he does make a comment to the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's comments that we could make about that, but Jesus is clearly still thinking about us. How do we know that? Because there are these pictures, these moments where Jesus actually says something. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus said, today to the one thief that turned and suppose he actually might be who the people are saying that he's not. He actually might be the Christ. He might be the Messiah, the anointed one. If you are the Christ, he starts to interact with them. I want to believe. And as he places his faith in that moment, that simple moment that sometimes we use as a, as a way to explain that sometimes salvation can just be that simple. In that simple moment, he says, you today, you'll be with me in paradise. He looks over while he's dying and he says this to a thief who just has the slightest bit of faith. In John 19, 26, which we just read, Jesus, while he's up there in the last moments of his life, looks down at his mom. And it, we think that obviously Joseph is no longer with them anymore. And so she's going to be left by herself. And before he dies, he tells his earthly mother, he says, behold your son. And then John takes care of Mary from that day forward, brings her into his house. He's still thinking about everyone. While the prophetic picture of rebellion and rejection and mockery is certainly there, what we also see is this prophetic picture of his heart and his posture, which is that he's still thinking about every one of us, even in the height of his suffering. If that's not a powerful picture, I don't know what else can grip our hearts. There was no level of pain or suffering that derailed his selfless love, and we see it here in this moment. And finally, my last point tonight is Jesus gave his life fully. John 19, 30, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, and remember, the sour wine was not mixed with that drug, by the way. Sometimes people get that confused. It didn't have the myrrh in it. This was sort of like a, a Roman drink that was, uh, you know, if they drank enough of it, they'd feel pretty good. But if you drank a little bit of it, you wouldn't feel anything at all, except this is not a good drink. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spear. Why did I tell you in the beginning that it's important to realize he said it in a loud voice? Why did I say that? Because when he drank the sour wine, it constricts your, it constricts your throat. And so he drinks this. He's not really getting any refreshing because he's, he's dehydrated. He's, he's bleeding out completely. He's dying. He's almost dead. And he screams out in a loud voice, it is finished. That was it. That's all he had. And he gave up his spirit and he died physically right then. And it was 3 p.m. when he did this. He says it's finished. In that moment, these three words, I don't think these three words probably sunk in. Not until John wrote this gospel later and the early Christians had to read the dying words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I doubt they knew what he meant when he said it right then. But for many years later, they would have to read this. John wrote his gospel somewhere in the 90s A.D., and they would hear it from John and from others. Jesus would say, it is finished. These three words in Greek, I may not pronounce it the right way, but it's tetelestai. This expression was commonly known and used and understood in their world. We don't understand this word, it is finished. But it's a word that they use, common language. Okay. When a servant completed a job, they told their master, tetelestai. 
I have done the job. I've completed it. When a merchant in the marketplace made a sale and the money was handed over, they would say, to telestai, meaning that the deal was complete and everything was paid in full. Normal language, common. When an artist finished a painting and a sculpture and they stood back and they would say, it is finished. They would say, to telestai, it's done, it's complete. This is exactly as it's supposed to be. When Jesus said this phrase, he was not saying, this is the end of me. He was not surrendering his life to his enemies or to those that were doing this to him. Jesus was saying that the sacrifice has been made and the debt has been paid in full. And what that means for us and the reason that we look upon the cross and we can smile is because we know the devil lost his authority. We know that sin lost its power and we know that death was broken right there when Jesus said, it is finished. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 21 says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. And we just saw the picture of what that had to look like. That is our sin. That picture that we just read is our sin. That's what our sin looks like in comparison to what Jesus is calling us to be, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but be sure of this, all can be restored to the glory of God in Christ. And that's what we come to commemorate. That's what we come to reflect upon tonight. We are going to be receiving communion, so I don't know if you have your elements, but if you don't have communion elements, I want you to be able to get those at this time. We have some that have uh, the baskets, so just raise your hand. We'll get those to you right now very quickly. We have some. Take a moment to do that. And if you're online, if you could do that as well, just have a moment together. I'll lead us through communion. And I, I have something I want to say before you uh, begin to evaluate your own heart, before you think about where you're at with Jesus. I want to say something to you that I think is really important. I prayed today, and I suppose it's the benefits of being able to study and pray all day, is that at some point you have to come out of your office and have a word from God. Hopefully. Amen. So I took a walk in our neighborhood in Federal Way. I live down the street. I took a walk. I try to take an hour walk a day. And uh, the first part of it is complaints. Let's be honest. It's not praying. <laughs> it's venting. And I try to call a friend, but wouldn't you know there's nobody that's going to pick up my phone call? <laughs> there is someone that always picks up the phone when I call, though. Okay, somebody likes what I'm talking about now. You know, you like where I'm going. But for whatever reason, I know that if I begin to talk out the things of my heart, that it's complaining and I don't want to look at him. I don't want to look at him, even though he paid for all of my sin too. And so as I took a walk and I had prayed and studied all day, in fact, I've had a whole week of a lot of staying up late and praying and studying. And I don't, I don't enjoy tradition for tradition's sake. I do like tradition, but for me personally, 
ritual without reality doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, I came from a hard place, and I was delivered by Jesus. Uh, and so when I begin to think about the cross, and I know you are in the same place. I don't know what your testimony is or how you came to Christ, but I'm sure he means everything to you. But I, I'm saying for me personally, he means everything to me. And I know I'm imperfect. That's why I came to Christ so radically. And sometimes that's the truth of a person that has a testimony where you come out of the hard stuff of life and all of your sin and all of your shadiness and all of your junk and garbage. The reason why you have to come out so radically is because you're entrenched so deeply. And when you do, those who have been forgiven much love much. And you don't have to go through a life of sin to recognize to recognize that you have it as well. You don't have to go through drug addiction and all of these immorality. You can recognize how great your sin is, even if you didn't walk as far away seemingly as others. And so those who have been forgiven much love much. And I, I was thinking about our service and I was praying and I felt like the Lord led me to say something to you and I wanna say it. And I don't think I'm gonna say this the right way, but I'm, I'm gonna try. So you're gonna give me grace as I do, all right? because I'm prophesying that grace into you right now. <laughs> I feel like um, we've heard a lot about this year, and, and uh, some of us, we focused on it too much, and some of us it was really painful. Some of us it wasn't as painful. But there's a lot of varying levels of pain in the room. And I would also tell you it's not just pain, but some of us, we, if we were honest... We may have sinned a lot this last year. Yeah, we don't like to bring that up, do we? We might be right now in unreconciled relationships, stubborn, living in sin, and our heart is hardening. And I just want to say this, and I had this picture while I was walking today. It's that when you take your eyes off the cross and you look at other people in judgment or you look at yourself, for too long. The longer we take our eyes off Jesus, the more we miss the beauty of what that means for us and how it humbles us to recognize that as we follow him, we want to be like him. Forgiving, loving, serving, sacrificially giving our lives away, being willing to do so. And I just, here's tonight, as we receive communion, we're going to take four, five, six minutes. I'll come up here at some point. But not just in a somber way, but in a real way. What I'm asking and I'm encouraging you to do is let's together look at Jesus. And if there is anything that is unreconciled in our life, if there's any stubbornness in our heart, if there's any offense, if there's any woundedness, do not allow yourself to look at the cross and not consider, not consider that he is calling you to give it to him. It's not a recognition of guilt and shame. It's where shame comes off of us, but we have to go low in order for that to happen. We have to humble ourselves. And so you'll see me sometimes if you come here on the weekends or even on Wednesday night, I receive communion probably every service. Not out of ritual, but really, this is where my heart is. And I'm going to tell you what I do. Every single time I receive communion, I, I pray the same prayer that's in the Psalms. I pray, let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. 
And every time, every single time I pray it, he always brings something up. Wouldn't you know it? (laughs) I never get out of it. But I have never felt condemned by God a day in my life. I've been condemned by other things. I've even condemned my own heart. But Jesus has never condemned me. That is literally why he did that. To tell you and to tell me, I love you. I love you beyond comprehension. That's the cross. That's the beauty of the God that we serve. So tonight, as we receive communion, we're going to take a few moments to contemplate. Look to Jesus. Let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. Don't look at anyone else. Don't look at anyone else. Just look at Jesus. Amen. The Bible says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so tonight we do that. Take together. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's receive together. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Worship you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you tonight for Jesus. We're grateful. And Lord, we come to look at you. We don't come to look at anybody else, to think about anybody else, to be mindful of you, to remember all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. We thank you for going to the cross. We thank you for willingly giving your life. We thank you that you went through all that you did, proving to us that you loved us and that you took our place and that now we can be forgiven and have everlasting life in relationship with our Heavenly Father. So we receive that tonight. We receive the reminder, a refreshing. I pray for a refreshing over your church, God, over me. I pray for renewal. I pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, that it is a free gift, but it costs you everything. And now, Lord, we want to walk in such a way that is worthy of the calling for which we have received in Christ Jesus. I pray that today that you would add to us, you would add to us more Christ-like character, the provoking of the Spirit of God leading us to be like you, following the path of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We desire to be like you, to follow you, all that you are and all that you do. We thank you tonight. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.